There are so many religions in the world. How are they similar and how are they different? We need to know. The culturally correct view is to blend them all together as equally relevant and legitimate. But is that true? Prior to becoming a follower of Jesus, your host, Mike Shreve, was an avid seeker of truth, exploring many paths to spirituality. One of his passions now is to help bridge the gap so that others can discover the true light, which gives light to everyone entering the world. Now, here's Mike Shreve revealing the true light. Almost every nativity scene that you see this time of year includes three kings from the Orient riding camels and visiting the baby Jesus at a stable in Bethlehem. Is this true biblically? When you really inspect it, you'll find out that at least five beliefs associated with this popular tradition are most likely wrong. Well, let's discover the facts. It's only found recorded in one gospel, the gospel of Matthew chapter 2. Let me read the first two verses to begin with. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east and have come to worship him. So in that passage, they are not referred to as kings, rather they are referred to as wise men. And the original Greek word is magos, from which we get the word magi, and from that word, we also get the word magician. Well, I don't believe they were, quote-unquote, magicians, but the word has evolved that way through the centuries. Strangely, though, the same word translated wise men in Matthew 2, verse 1, is also translated sorcerer in Acts chapter 13, verse 8. It's a reference to a man named Elimus, who was a sorcerer. Let me tell you the story surrounding it. There was a proconsul named Sergius Paulus, an intelligent man that Paul and Barnabas were witnessing to. But then in verse 8 of Acts chapter 13, it says, Elimus the sorcerer, for so his name is translated, withstood them, seeking to turn the proconsul away from the faith. Then Saul, who also is called Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, looked intently at him and said, O oh, full of all deceit and all fraud, you son of the devil, you enemy of all righteousness, will you not cease perverting the straight ways of the Lord? And now indeed the hand of the Lord is upon you, and you shall be blind not seeing the sun for a time. And immediately a dark mist fell on him, and he went around seeking someone to lead him by the hand. Then the proconsul believed when he saw what had been done, being astonished at the teaching of the Lord. How peculiar that the same word translated wise men was translated sorcerer. Does that mean that the wise men were sorcerers? No, I don't believe that. But apparently they were recognized for their connection with a high level of spirituality. Some historians believe that they were priests of the Zoroastrian faith. I have another proposal that I will bring in later. 
Well, I said that there are five beliefs that are probably wrong. What are those five beliefs? Number one, the Bible never said they were kings. And number two, the Bible never said there were three. Number three, the Bible never said they came from the Orient. Number four, the Bible never said they rode on camels. And number five, the Bible never said they came to a stable where they found Jesus. Well, where do we get these ideas? Well, most of them come from a song that was written by John Henry Hopkins in the year 1857. I'm sure you've probably heard it, and most likely you've sung it. It begins, We three kings of Orient are, Bearing gifts we traverse afar. And then it continues, Field and fountain, moor and mountain, following yonder star, and then the chorus. O star of wonder, star of night, star with royal beauty bright, westward leading, still proceeding, guide with thy perfect light. And another verse is, born a king on Bethlehem's plain, gold I bring to crown him again, king forever, ceasing never, over us all to reign. So there you have it, we three kings of Orient are. But does that match the Bible? The Bible never said there were three of them. It just said wise men came from the East. Some traditions from that part of the world say that there were 12 wise men. I suppose they assume there were three of them because there were three gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. And I believe those three gifts were symbolic. Gold is symbolic of the divine nature. Frankincense is symbolic of prayer. Myrrh is symbolic of preservation from death because it was used in the ointment that was applied to those who died. And I believe that that was symbolic of the fact that we bring him gifts. If we come to worship the Lord Jesus in our lives, one of the gifts we bring him is the gold of the development of the divine nature in our lives, where we become holier people, more loving, more humble, more forgiving, just like him. First, it's a recognition of the quote-unquote gold of his divine nature, and then our gift to him is to develop the same within our hearts. Frankincense, well, that's his prayerfulness as the great high priest praying over us, and our prayerfulness seeking him. And then myrrh, well, he was preserved in death, and he certainly promises that he'll preserve those who follow him in death too, and that we will rise to meet him when he comes again. All of that was contained in the symbolism, whether the wise men recognized it or not. Did they come from the Orient? Well, what does the word Orient refer to? It's actually a word that means Asia. Specifically, it means East Asia. Nations like North and South Korea, India, Pakistan, Thailand, Japan, all of those are in East Asia. Well, most likely it was a reference to the eastern area of the Mideast region. It could have been ancient Babylon, which in this present day is known as Iraq. Where is Babylon? The town of Babylon was located along the Euphrates River, about 50 miles south of Baghdad. So you know the region. It's east of Israel, east of Jerusalem, and certainly they could have come from there. Now, traditionally, 
these wise men have been given the names Melchior, Caspar, and Balthasar. Do you find that in the Bible? No, that's just tradition. And they've been made saints, but we don't know if those names were actually attributed to them. Let's go back to Matthew chapter 2, and let's read the whole account. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men came from the east to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled and all Jerusalem with him. That blows my mind that they were troubled when they should have been ecstatic with joy. Instead, it was upsetting to them that possibly the Messiah had arrived and he was going to stir trouble. And when he had gathered all the chief priests and scribes of the people together, Herod inquired of them where the Messiah, the Christ, was to be born. And they said to him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for thus it is written by the prophet, and they quoted Micah chapter 5, verse 2, For you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are not the least. For out of you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. See, Bethlehem was a little town. It was a very humble community. But the prophecy was that even though Bethlehem was the least of all the cities in Judah, yet uh, Micah said, out of Bethlehem would come he whose goings forth have been from of old, even from everlasting, a reference to the deity of the Lord Jesus Christ, that he always has existed as the image of the invisible God. Then Herod when he had secretly called the wise men, determined from them what time the star appeared, and he sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the young child, and when you have found him, bring back word to me that I may come and worship him also. And when they heard the king, they departed, and behold, the star which they had seen in the east went before them till it came and stood over where the young child was. And when they saw the star, they rejoiced with exceeding joy. And when they had come into the house, it didn't say a stable, it said a house. So apparently after Jesus was born, after the census was over, Joseph found a house there in Bethlehem for them to stay. So it wasn't at the manger scene, sorry. I know I'm messing with your nativities. But when they had come into the house, they saw the young child with Mary his mother and fell down and worshipped him. And when they opened their treasures, they presented gifts to him, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Then, being divinely warned in a dream that they should not return to Herod, they departed for their own country another way. Now, when they had departed, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream, saying, Arise, take the young child and his mother, flee to Egypt, and stay there until I bring you word, for Herod will seek the young child to destroy him. And when he arose, he took the young child and his mother by night and departed for Egypt, and was there until the death of Herod, that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by the Lord through the prophets, saying, out of Egypt I called my son. Then Herod, 
when he saw that he was deceived by the wise men, was exceedingly angry, and he sent forth and put to death all the male children who were in Bethlehem and in all its districts from two years old and under, according to the time which he had determined from the wise men. So it's not altogether certain whether or not the wise men came close to his birth or within a two-year frame of time. That was the fulfillment of something spoken by Jeremiah the prophet, though a voice was heard in Ramah, lamentation, weeping in great mourning, Rachel weeping for her children, refusing to be comforted because they are no more. What a tragic, what a heartbreaking thing that at the birth of Jesus, when there should have been great joy in all the land, there should have been thousands of people converging on that spot. They didn't come. Instead, they were troubled. And instead, there was a slaughter by Herod to prevent some king from growing up that would take his throne. How corrupt the hearts of human beings are. Well, where do people get this idea that the wise men were kings? Most likely, it stems from Isaiah chapter 60, verses 1 through 6, a prophecy that is well-known and well-loved. Verse 1 through 6, Arise, shine, for your light is come, and the glory of the Lord is risen upon you. For behold, darkness shall cover the earth, and deep darkness the people. But the Lord will arise over you, and his glory will be seen upon you. Now, listen to verse 3. The Gentiles shall come to your light, and kings to the brightness of your rising. There it is. Lift up your eyes all around and see. They all gather together. They come to you. Your son shall come from afar, and your daughter shall be nursed at your side. Then you shall see and become radiant, and your heart shall swell with joy, because the abundance of the sea shall be turned to you. The wealth of the Gentiles shall come to you. The multitude of camels shall cover your land. There's another place that brought out the idea of camels. The multitude of camels shall cover your land. The dromedaries of Midian and Ephah, all those from Sheba shall come. Listen, the next line says, they shall bring gold and incense and they shall proclaim the praises of the Lord. Now, when you really break down this scripture exegetically, you'll find out that it's not a reference prophetically to the Messiah, but rather a reference to Israel, is specifically a reference to Jerusalem, especially Jerusalem in the last days. So to draw out of this the idea that the wise men were kings and that they came on camels, well, you just can't do it. You can't prove it. How do I know it's about Jerusalem? Because verse 14 of the same chapter says, they shall call you the city of the Lord, the Zion of the Holy One of Israel. It's not talking about the Messiah, a baby in a manger. It's talking about a city that will one day be the city of the great king when he comes to reign over all the earth. Well, was Jesus born in a stable? That's what you see in almost every nativity scene. Where do you get that? Well, let me read from Luke chapter 2. 
starting with verse 1. It says, It came to pass in those days that a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This census first took place when Quirinius was governing Syria. So all went to be registered, every one to his own city. Joseph also went up from Galilee out of the city of Nazareth into Judea to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, where he was of the house and lineage of David to be registered with Mary, his betrothed wife, who was with child. And so it was that while they were there, the days were completed for her to be delivered. Now listen to this next verse, verse 7, carefully. And she brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. That's where you get it. It's an assumption. A manger is a feeding trough. And so because this newborn baby was laid in a feeding trough, which is highly symbolic because he was the bread of life and he came to feed humanity starving for the truth by giving himself. He said, my flesh is bread indeed. My blood is drink indeed. He gave himself as an offering to all of humanity. But a manger could have been in a lot of other scenes besides a stable. In fact, some of the early church fathers taught that he was actually born in a cave where there was a manger. Who knows for sure? (laughs) All we know is the most important thing is he was born and he came to save us from our sins. Now, the next part In Luke chapter 2 says, There were in the same country shepherds living out in the fields, keeping watch over their flock by night. And behold, an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone round about them, and they were greatly afraid. Then the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which will be to all people, for there is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign to you. You will find a babe wrapped in swaddling clothes lying in a manger. No mention of a stable. It just says he'll be lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying glory to God in the highest and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. And so it was When the angels had gone away from them into heaven, that the shepherds said to one another, Let us now go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has come to pass, which the Lord has made known to us. And they came with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the babe lying in a manger. I think it's significant that the city was Bethlehem for several reasons. Number one, it was a very humble community. And isn't that fitting? that God humbled himself to come instead of being born in a thriving city like Jerusalem that was considered very important. He came to a very humble, lowly community because that was just the way he did things. He came clothed with the very humility of God. Also, the word Bethlehem means house of bread. 
because apparently there was a family of bread makers in that community or possibly that formed that community, and it became a place where bread was produced. And the natural coincides with the spiritual emblem or symbol that was being represented. All of that's important. Well, who were these wise men? We really haven't sufficiently answered that. The same kind of title was used concerning those who counseled Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon. Do you remember how Nebuchadnezzar had a dream and he couldn't remember the dream and he said as a test to his wise men that they had to tell him the dream and then tell him the interpretation of the dream. But Daniel came to one of the king's assistants named Arioch and said, do not destroy the wise men of Babylon. Take me before the king and I will tell the king the interpretation. Then Arioch quickly brought Daniel before the king and said, I have found this man of the captives of Judah who will make known to the king the interpretation. And Daniel said, the secret which the king has demanded, the wise men, the astrologers, the magicians, and the soothsayers cannot declare to the king, but there is a God in heaven who reveals secrets, and he has made known to King Nebuchadnezzar what will be in the latter days. Your dream and the vision of your head upon your bed were these. And then he went on to describe a great image with a head of fine gold, chest and arms of silver, belly and thighs of bronze, legs of iron, and feet partly of iron and partly of clay that represented five great empires. The fine gold head represented Babylon, the chest and arms of silver, the Media Persian Empire. The belly and thighs of bronze represented the Grecian Empire. The legs of iron represented the Roman Empire. And the feet, part of iron and part of clay, represent, I believe, a revived Babylonian Empire. I know most prophecy teachers call it a revived Roman Empire, But I believe the book of Revelation mentions Babylon being a dominant influence in the world in the last days. And that's another message altogether. But I believe the feet, part of iron and part of clay, represent a revived Babylonian empire. Now, because Daniel properly interpreted the dream, all the wise men were rescued from death. And I believe... And of course, Daniel became chief of all the wise men. He was placed in a superior position by Nebuchadnezzar as a result. He promoted him and gave him many gifts and made him ruler over the whole province of Babylon and the chief administrator over all the wise men of Babylon. That's in Daniel chapter 2, verse 48. And I don't believe Daniel's influence was just felt during that era. Because, see, Daniel made some prophecies that all of these wise men under him were well familiar with. He prophesied in Daniel 9, verse 2, that after 70 years, the Jews would return from Babylon. And they did exactly 70 years, just like Daniel prophesied. Daniel also prophesied that there would be 69 weeks of years, that's 483 years, until the coming of the Messiah from a specific beginning point. 
And it happened, just like Daniel said. So the wise men that were under his influence that I believe were most likely influenced toward a faith in the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob as a result, heard about these prophecies from generation to generation. And because of Daniel's influence so many centuries before, when it was time for the Messiah to be born, these spiritual-minded Gentiles were more passionate about finding the Messiah than the Jews that knew where the prophecies would come to pass. And that's a heartbreaking thing, a troubling thing to me. Instead of being troubled, they should have been ecstatic. Well, let me go back to the five things that are wrong with the traditions. Number one, we cannot prove there were three wise men because the Bible just said wise men from the East. It could have been a hundred of them for all we know. Number two, we cannot prove they were kings except the song that was created about this whole event in 1857. We can't say they came from the Orient we can just say they came from the east, which could have been from the region once known as Babylon. And the Bible never said they came on camels. They probably did. That's a pretty good presumption, but not provable. And they did not necessarily come to a stable. They could have. It might be the truth. But we do know they found the king of all the universe lying in a manger. What an amazing thing in a feeding trough because he came to satisfy the hunger for truth in a starving human race. Well, that's my teaching, <laughs> and I hope it's been a blessing to you. I hope it's answered some questions and filled in some blanks for you concerning the nativity scene that we see so often. Thank you for joining Mike Shreve today on Revealing the True Light. And thank you for opening your mind and your heart to the truth. Be sure to subscribe on iTunes, cpnshows.com, or wherever you listen to podcasts so you don't miss new episodes. You can explore the beliefs of many world religions more deeply by ordering Mike Shreve's book titled In Search of the True Light. We also invite you to visit our website, thetruelight.net, and sign up to be part of our global internet family.